Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. We read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. For the author of Hebrews, of all the Old Testament characters who were eminently known for their faith in God, Abraham stands out. As we see in this chapter, whereas he assigns one verse each to Abel, Enoch, and Noah, he devotes as many as 12 verses to Abraham. And of course, this is not surprising for at least three reasons. Number one, Abraham is one of the most highly esteemed figures in Jewish history. In fact, from the Gospels, we see how that the Jews proudly trace their ancestry all the way back to him, John chapter 8, verse 39, even relying on their ties with him to gain good standing with God, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9. Remember what John the Baptist said to him, don't think to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. They so highly revered Abraham that they were presuming upon their ancestral ties with him to gain them favor with God. And number two, his prominence throughout the New Testament. Abraham is cited some 11 times in the book of Hebrews, 15 times in Luke's gospel, and 11 times in the gospel of John. And all in all, he is referred to over 70 times in 11 books of the New Testament. He has the distinction of being called the father, or rather the friend of God, James chapter 2 and verse 23. And then thirdly is the fact that he's mentioned time and again in the New Testament as a model of what it is to have faith in God. Acts chapter 7 verses 2 through 8, Romans chapter 4 verse 3, Galatians chapter 3 verse 6, Hebrews 6, 30 through 15, James 2 verse 23. All of those passages make reference to the fact that Abraham is the father of the faith. And so highly reputed was Abraham in this matter of trusting God that Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 and Romans chapter 4 verses 1 and 11 sets him forth as the father of those who are of faith. Indeed, Abraham was a man of marvelous faith. In God. In the first place, the marvel of Abraham's faith was evidenced, and here we come to our text this morning, it was evidenced by his response to the call of God. The marvel of Abraham's faith was evidenced by his response to the call 
of God. We read, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Question is, when and where was this call issued to Abraham? In his sermon, Stephen declares in Acts chapter 7, verses 2 and 3, that this call came to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Now in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, we see there that Abraham's father, Terah, is taking the family to the land of Canaan, but by the time they arrived at Haran, they settled there in Haran. We're given no reason for the stop, but what we know is that Terah, Abram's father, died in Haran. In Acts 7 verse 4, Stephen goes on to say that he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father had died, God removed him from there into the land of Canaan. The picture we have here then is that God's call to Abraham came twice. First in Ur Ur of the Chaldees and then in Haran. The call Abraham received in Ur may have been part of Terah's reason for pulling up the family and heading to Canaan. And of course, as we said, we don't know why they stopped in Haran. It's needless to speculate. Perhaps his father, who was aged at this time, was ill, and of course that curtailed any movement on the part of Abraham. We just don't know. What we have in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, would be God's second call to Abraham while he was there in Haran. This would be the particular call to which a writer of Hebrews is referring here in our text, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. And in commenting on Abraham's faith, the writer here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 implicitly calls attention to what we could call the extraordinary impressiveness of Abraham's faith, the marvel of his faith, the extraordinary impressiveness of his faith. He's seen, he seemed to be saying, yes, like Abel, Enoch, and Noah, Abraham exercised the kind of faith that led to obedience, daring obedience, if we might add, but by all accounts, Abraham, his level of obedience far superseded that of any before him. And of course, the question is, what were those features, what were those characteristic features of Abraham's faith that made his response of obedience to God so preeminently impressive? What was the nature of his obedience to God? And here we are talking again about the marvel of his faith. First of all, in response, notice in response to God's call, and this is as set forth in Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, in response to the call of God, Abraham's obedience was first of all unhesitating. 
Suggested by Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, is that no sooner had God instructed Abraham to pull up roots, to leave country, to leave kindred, to leave family, to go to a land that God would show him, Abraham went. In fact, we read in verse 4, listen to what verse 4 says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. There's no indication that he demurred at what the Lord had told him to do. No indication of hesitancy or reluctance on his part. Having received this clear command from God, Abraham went as he had been instructed. His was a faith, we would say, that was expressed in precise obedience to God. Notice, there was no kind of attempt at bargaining with God as if to enter into some other kind of act of devotion to God, to buy off God, to bypass this clear command of God to pull up roots and to go to the land that God would show him. And the point, beloved, is this, as was the case in Abraham, true faith in God, listen, true faith in God is ever oriented to doing precisely what God wills, what God commands, irrespective of the consequences. So Abraham went out, as the Lord had told him, Scripture tells us, prompt obedience, unhesitating Obedience, and that's the kind of obedience that God requires of us. And it is characteristic of faith to do what God says and to do it instantly. I don't know about you this morning, but it may be that God has shown you something in his word. He has put his finger on some area of your life, something you need to address. And for some reason, perhaps, you are hesitating. You are, as it were, raising questions. You are, as it were, trying to rationalize and reason your way out of this command of God. Now, here's the point. We can't buy off God. We can't buy him off with some kind of barter system. And some people, the way they go about doing that, they say, well, they go all out, do extraordinary things for God in the hope that somehow that will compensate for doing precisely what God says they are to do. Let me say this, not to do God's will as God makes it clear in his word is to be disobedient. It is to, in fact, have a lack of faith in him. Remember what Mary said to those people at the wedding she says, whatever he says to you, speak of the Lord Jesus, whatever he says to you, do it. And I'm saying to you this morning, on the authority of God's word, whatever God is saying to you, something that you need to do, maybe some relationship you need to address, maybe some area, some, you say, Lord, I can't do this. Maybe it's some matter of reconciliation. You say, I can't do this. And God is saying, listen, you need to do this. Listen, you need to do it. Not only was Abraham's faith, in God unhesitating, but notice second, his obedience to God was unwavering. His obedience to God, first of all, was unhesitating. Here it comes. Secondly, his obedience to God was unwavering. Notice in Genesis chapter 12, if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 12, notice the series of statements there in Genesis 12, all indicative of his persistent, persevering 
obedience. We notice, first of all, beginning at verse 4, in response to God's command to leave your country, leave your kindred, leave your father's house, beginning at verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Look at verse 5. Along with his family, of course, they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, look at verse 6. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. is in the land by, the, by this time, the land of Canaan. Look at verse 8. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 9. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. And the thing we notice here, notice here that not only was Abraham careful to obey the Lord in the matter of leaving his country, but notice that he was most diligent in continuing his journey right to and through the land of promise. His obedience, we would say, was persistent. It was unyielding. It was an obedience that was intent on carrying out fully all that God had told him. So number one, Abraham's faith in God, in terms of his obedience, his obedience was unhesitating, it was unwavering, but notice thirdly, his obedience to God was uncalculating. What do we mean by that? You see, as God commanded him to leave country and kindred, Abraham did not stop to contemplate, he did not stop to calculate all the possible scenarios of difficulty, of challenges, of peril he could face along the way. As far as the biblical record is concerned, he left his country, he left his relatives, and he did so, again, according to the text, without doubting, without questioning, without raising objection to the God's command. We would say he threw caution to the wind when it came to obeying God. He did not stop to say, well, what if in going, what if I encounter this? How can I be sure that I'll be protected along the way? No, in a matter-of-fact way, notice, he stepped out in faith, not being concerned about this, that, and the other. This was the great marvel of Abraham's faith. Having gathered his family, having gathered his belongings, Abraham, notice, had absolutely no idea as to where he was headed. Humanly speaking, he had no guarantee as to his protection. He had no guarantee as to his security over the long haul. Remember those days traveling what he, what, what he could have faced, marauders, marauders, robbers, bandits, the inhospitable conditions of deserts. Abraham had no clear indication as to how things would turn out. And what did he do? He nevertheless obeyed God. And then we only have to consider what he gave up. Consider how much he gave up in obeying God. Because one of the things we have to remember, beloved, we are so distant from that era 
But what we have to understand, and I guess today, in some, in some cultures today, it still obtains, listen, what Abraham did, you see, in leaving his country, in leaving his kindred, in leaving his father's house, was not the easiest thing for anyone at that time to have done. You're talking about leaving family gods. You're talking about leaving family traditions. That would have been seen as an act of betrayal. That would have been seen as Abraham abandoning his family. It was not an easy task. But by faith and in obedience to God, notice Abraham left the security of the known and familiar to venture upon the unknown and uncertain. That's faith. That's a, that was the marvel of his faith. How many of us like to go where we know not where we are going? Even if a friend says to us, listen, I wanted to meet me so and so, and we're going somewhere. I'm going to show you this place. What is our reaction? Tell me, where are you going? We don't like to be held in suspense when it comes to where we are going. We like to see where we are going. In fact, we will even, if we're traveling in a, in, a, in a bus or in a plane, many of us want what? We want the side where the window, we can look right through to see where we're going. I'm like that. Abraham left the security of the known and familiar to venture upon the unknown and uncertain. He went out, he stepped out in faith, in sheer, simple, childlike dependence on God, not knowing where he was going. As such, what Abraham did was, we would say, counterintuitive. He did that which made absolutely no sense to logical human reasoning. For sure, many today would protest against what Abraham did. What? Pulling up your family? Taking up your belongings headed for who knows where? That's crazy. That's, that's the height of carelessness. Or consider the case of a deeply committed believer. This person just leaves college, maybe just started a job, a lucrative career. This person says, you know, I feel called to the mission field. Friends and family would say, are you out of your mind? What a waste. How foolish. But here's the point. That's precisely the case of faith in God. Because here's the point. True faith in God does not reckon on that which is humanly logical. It does not reckon on the five senses. Why? Because the word of God says we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what Abraham did. He walked by faith. He did not walk by sight. And so it is, brethren, the faith that obeys God does not calculate the pros and cons of obeying God. It simply steps out in childlike, dependent trust in God, obeying God, whatever the consequences. That was Abraham. The faith that obeys God, beloved, launches out into the deep, as it were, doing his bidding without question. 
relying on nothing other than the presence, provisions, and promises of God. In this regard, F.B. Meyer states regarding, he says this regarding Abraham and his faith. Very powerful statement. Here's what F.B. Meyer says, quote, Whither he went he knew not. It was enough for him to know that he went with God. He leaned not so much upon the promise as upon the promiser. He looked not on the difficulties of his lot, but on the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. And then he adds, faith is content to sail with seal orders because of unwavering confidence in the love and wisdom of the Lord High Admiral, willing to arise, leave all, and follow Christ because of the glad assurance that earth's best cannot bear comparison with heaven's best. End quote. The marvel of Abraham's faith was evidenced in his response to the call of God. When God called Abraham to pull up roots, to leave the known for the unknown, to give up the familiar for the strange, Abraham responded in obedience with unhesitating obedience. He responded with obedience that was unswerving. He responded with obedience that was uncalculating, not questioning, not reckoning on the pros and cons of obeying God. Does that characterize your response to God? It's a challenge to myself. Are we willing to take God at his word? Do we trust him? Do we believe in the integrity of his character so much so that we can stake our lives, we can stake our security on the simple, bare, naked fact of who God is in terms of his character and integrity. The fact that he's the God who is faithful, he's the God who cannot lie, and if he tells us to do so, if he tells us to do this or that, we go and we leave the consequences to him. Once again, the question is this morning, what might God be saying to you specifically through the word of God, some area that you need to, be, to address, but you are bypassing, you are sidestepping, you are rationalizing, you are trying to wiggle and worm your way out of it. The marvel of Abraham's faith was evidenced in his response to the call of God, second, on entering the land of promise. The marvel of Abraham's faith was evidenced by this. It was evidenced by his attitude of heart in the land of promise. Abraham's faith, the marvel of his faith, was evidenced by the atti his attitude of heart, even as he was in the land of of promise. This is going to be very important because, you see, we are living in an age of spiritual triumphalism, which really is not taught in the word of God, at least the way people are thinking of triumph. Listen, the Christian on this side eternity, see, faces challenges, hurdles, trials, and God has not promised us, God has not promised us that we're going to get everything we want here on this side eternity. And I want us to watch something with Abraham in terms of his heart attitude toward this particular land that God had promised him, that God, in fact, had taken him to. 
Word of God says in verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Two things we learn about Abraham's faith in this passage. Number one, by faith he obeyed God. He left where he was. Secondly, by faith when he went to that land, he, he went to live in that land of promise as in a foreign land. What are we getting at here? The Greek verb that's used here for live. In fact, you notice the verse, the, the word live or, and lived in that verse, verse 9. It's two different Greek words that are used. Two different Greek words. And the verb that is used here for live in the first clause means to sojourn or dwell as a stranger, as a resident in a foreign land. Abraham's attitude, Abraham's whole mindset in the land of Canaan, the word of God saying, was that of a foreigner, was that of a stranger. Once again, why did I say what I said before? Because there's a teaching today, in fact it comes under the heading of what's called Dominion Theology, I've heard of it. Your best life now, you get it all now, and God wants you to have it all now. And so what happens? It lends to a kind of Christianity which is foreign to the Bible because the kind of Christianity that the Bible advocates, you and I should be living with what kind of mentality in this world? We should be living with a pilgrim stranger mentality. Abraham by faith, even as he lived in that land of promise, that land that God had promised to give him, he was living in it by faith as a stranger, as a foreigner. Even though the land had been promised to him by God, and even though he had arrived in the land, Abraham lived in it not as an owner, but as a foreigner. He lived in it. As a sojourner, his whole way of life, his whole attitude in the land was that of one who did not belong there. And what verse 10 is saying is that Abraham had to have this mindset as a foreigner in the land of promise. And he had to have that mindset by faith. By faith. What accounted for this? If you go back to what Stephen said in Acts chapter 7 verse 5 as he was preaching concerning Abraham, here's what Stephen said to his audience in Acts chapter 7 verse 5. He told him in verses 4 and 5, God removed him, that is Abraham, from Haran to the land of Canaan. Verse 5, yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession to his offsprings after him. Now think of this. Think with me. Go back to chapter 12 of Genesis. God tells Abraham, he commands him to get up from where he was, to leave his country, to leave his kindred, to leave his family, to go to a land that he would show him. To go to a land that he would give him as an inheritance. He gets to the land. God gives him no inheritance in the land. But here's what God did. God promises him. God promised him. To give it to him and his descendants as a possession. In other words, Abraham 
not now. You see how that runs counter to popular present-day way of thinking. I must have it now, my best life now. God wants me to have the wealth. He wants me to have this. He wants me to have that. You see then why it was necessary for him to adopt by faith this mindset, this attitude of a stranger. Why? Because the best of us, the best of us would have lost heart. Would have said, boy, God has certainly disappointed us. But no, no, no. Abraham by faith, in hearing what God told him, notice the nature of faith. Faith, true faith, accepts the will and purpose of God. Abraham, you're going to have this land. Leave your country. You're going to have it as an inheritance. Abraham gets there. Abraham, I'm promising you this land. It's going to give it to you and your descendants. And the Bible says, Abraham, as he was in the land, by faith, he lived there as a sojourner. Now, in the B part of verse 9, we are told that he lived in tents. He lived in tents. And that verb lived, rendered lived, carries the idea of settling down as it relates to a permanent dwelling. Now, the first lived was that of a stranger, a foreigner. The second lived here. While he lived in tents, the word is used of a permanent dwelling. And here's the irony. Here's the irony we have in this verse. A tent is, made, is meant to be what? A temporary living arrangement. And yet here was Abraham. It was precisely a tent that Abraham lived in while he was in Canaan. The equip- Let me tell you the equivalent idea. You know the equivalent idea. It's like a person today living in his or her car. It's like a person today, we would say, living out of his or her suitcase. And what's the idea? Living in your car, living in your suitcase suggests what? That where you are at that point in time is not meant to be a permanent residence. It's not meant to be a permanent dwelling. And this further underscores the mindset that Abraham had. Abraham dwelt in tents. Why? Because he had the understanding by faith that that was not his real home. At least not now. The question is, what was it? Put yourself in Abraham's shoe and ask yourself the question, what was it that sustained Abraham's faith even as he was there in the land of Canaan, the land that God promised him, and yet he went there living as a total stranger? You know, it is said, the closest he came to owning any piece of land was the burial plot that he purchased for his wife. That's all. Apart from that, he had no basic rights there. He was a foreigner. He was a resident alien. The question is, what was it that sustained his faith to have that pilgrim, stranger-like mental attitude as he lived in the land of Canaan? And may I suggest to you, this is what persons need to understand in our time Look at verse 10. Ten. He says this. For he was looking forward to the city, the city that has foundations, whose 
builder and maker is God. He was looking, he was anticipating that city whose builder and maker is God. This city for which he was looking is characterized in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. By the time we get there, we're going to see the writer describing this city as the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Indeed, this was the very city that the Apostle John envisioned in Revelation 21, verses 2 and 10, as coming down from heaven from God, described in verse 11 as having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Abraham had his sights set way beyond Canaan. Canaan was for him but a foreshadowing, a foretaste of the real deal, is what the scripture is suggesting. And the question we could ask is this. We're winding down this morning. The question we could ask is this. How did Abraham come to have this mindset? How did Abraham come to have this expectation, this anticipation, whereby he could look away from the physical land of Canaan and by faith look ahead to the heavenly city, that city which has foundation, whose builder and maker is God? What accounted for that kind of mindset? What accounted for that kind of outlook? We need to ask this question because when we discover what it was, here's the point, beloved, we will want to ensure that the same is true of us. How did Abraham come to have such expectation, such hope of an enduring heavenly city? Again, we have to go back to Acts 7. Because no doubt it's all related to Stephen's statement in his sermon recorded in Acts chapter 7. And there in verse 2 of Acts 7, here's what Stephen said. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Notice, not just God, but the God of glory. In other words, the glorious God appeared to him. Question, was this a salvation encounter of sorts? Was this a saving encounter? I think it was. I think it was a saving encounter. Why do I say that? Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. This is what the Apostle Paul says about Abraham. It tells us that God before, God had before preached the gospel to Abraham. Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 56 said this. Abraham rejoiced to see my day and was glad. My friends, I think that what happened there when the God of glory appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia, Abraham had such a life-changing, transforming encounter, having seen the glory of God, it affected his entire outlook. And may I suggest to you that's exactly what would have accounted for his prompt obedience when God told him to get up and leave his country. Why? Because for him, as far as Abraham was concerned, the glory of God was so overwhelming, the glory of God was so impressive, so attractive. Listen, I have to follow this God. The Lord's appearance to Abraham in Mesopotamia was... One of saving significance for Abraham, living as he had been in the midst of idolatry. Something we need to understand, you see, Abraham wasn't always Abraham as we understand. 
Joshua 24 verse 2 tells us that Abraham was from a family of idol worshippers. They worshipped the moon god. And Abraham, it appears, as I said, had such a transforming, life-changing encounter with the glorious God of heaven. It profoundly impacted his whole outlook such that rather than being earthly focused, he became heavenly attuned. Hence, by faith, he detected in the earthly Canaan a foretaste of the heavenly city to which he was looking forward. A life-changing, life-transforming encounter with the glory of God is going to impact our whole outlook and attitude to this world. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He talks about looking forward to the, to the glory coming up of our glorious Lord. And he says, for the grace of God that brings salvation to all men has appeared, teaching us to un- deny ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. May I suggest this? The reason many professing Christians, the many reason many are so attached to this world, living like the world, talking like the world, moving with the currents of the world, they have never had a saving encounter with the Lord Jesus. That might be the reason. That is why we are told in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3, then you have been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. You see how that runs counter to the, to the dominion theology, the spirit of triumphalism? When Christ shall appear in glory, then we also will appear with him. This is not our best life. No, this, this could never be our best life. No, this is not our rest, the prophet Micah would say. Why? Because it's defiling, it's corrupting. And when we have seen the vision of the Lord, as it were, the glory of God, I'm not talking about some mystical experience, of course, but I'm, I'm talking when we have seen the Lord Jesus in his glory as manifested in the gospel, we are going to be changed, we are going to be transformed. Someone has well put it, Abraham came from Ur, which incidentally means light. He came from Ur of the Chaldees. Ur's largest temple was known as the house of the great light. And the god they worshipped was the moon god, Nanar. And this man says, but for Abraham, the god of glory totally eclipsed the brightness and splendor of Ur, its temple, and its gods. That's why he had the mindset of a stranger. That's why by faith he could accept what God said. Why? Because he had seen the glory of God. God had appeared to him in Mesopotamia. And from then on, Abraham was a changed, transformed man. Transformed in his thinking. Transformed in his values. Transformed in his outlook. Transformed in his whole way of life. The songwriter says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
As we close this morning, what are the lessons we can take away from this passage? Number one, God called Abraham, summoning him to leave country and kindred and family for a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And here's the point this morning. As believers in the Lord Jesus, you and I have been similarly called. Because we, by God's grace, have been called out of this world, a kingdom of sin and darkness. And we have been called, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, into his marvelous light. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here's the point. This call of God to come out from the world obliges us to be separate from the world, to be different from the world, to be distinct from the world. We read in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is God's will for us. God is still calling a people out of the world. He's calling us to be different. We're told in John, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. The loss of the eyes, the loss of the flesh, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The call of God from the world then means that we cannot be in a relationship of fellowship with God and be in sync with the world at the same time. Like Abraham who lived in the land of promise as in a foreign land, so should we in relation to this world. Why? First Peter chapter 2 verse 11, we are sojourners and exiles. In the world, but not of the world, John chapter 17, verses 15 and 16 is precisely why you and I as Christians should not think like the world and love the ways of the world. We are to be different. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. The word citizenship there, Greek word that is used, the word from which you get our word politics, our politics, our polity is in heaven. From whence also we look for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Later, the writer of the Hebrews will tell us in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, here's what he says. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city to come. Is your hope set on that city? Do you have hope of that city? And so the challenge to you this morning, the challenge to myself this morning is this. By the way that you are ordering your life, by the, your values, your outlook, your attitude toward this world, is it evident to others that you have a pilgrim mindset? You have the attitude of a stranger toward this world. An attitude of mind and heart that reflects to the world that you are a stranger to the world, that this world is not your home. And then I close with a challenge we gave earlier. Abraham's faith in God was demonstrated by his instant, implicit obedience to God. The question is, where are you in this matter of obedience to God? Why are you hesitating? Why are you calculating? And the answer this morning, the point is this, you can trust God with the consequences of obedience to him. You're not saved. Perhaps someone is listening by way of Zoom. 
You're not saved. Your first act of obedience to God is to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that? Because not until you have done that are you in a position to truly honor God. May God grant that these things would be so in our lives for his name's sake. Amen.